This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Thank you, Gracie. You will do well. What a beautiful song it is well. Is it well with your soul today? Amen. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 8. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word today. Hope you came hungry for the word, ready to receive what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygius and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when we arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. You know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for the power of your word and your testimony and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for your people here today that you will raise up courage in our hearts and our lives that we would never be ashamed of our testimony for you and of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and of one another. Help us this morning as we look at your word. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. A lady was given a dinner party, and she had invited a lot of guests over for this fancy meal, this fancy dinner, and she was going to have a pasta dish ready that night. She had got the spaghetti sauce out and mixed it all up, And then she left for the day, and she had forgotten to put the sauce back in the refrigerator. And she got back home, and in the heat of that day, that sauce had been sitting out on the counter all day long, and she was a little bit nervous about maybe it spoiling. And she didn't have time to cook another batch of sauce, and so she got on the phone, and she called Poison Control. And Poison Control said, what you need to do is boil that sauce all over again, And it'll be just fine. Just put it on the stove, boil it. You can put it on the pasta. It'll work out fine. No one will know the difference. And so just boil it all over again. 
So later that night, they're sitting around the elegant table. It's all decorated. The pasta's there before them. They're all eating their meal. They're enjoying it very much. No side effects. And the phone rings. And one of the guests says, don't worry. I'll jump up and get it. You stay right there. And she goes over and answers the phone. And the phone, the voice on the phone said, this is poison control. We want to know how your spaghetti sauce turned out. At which her face dropped and the host was totally embarrassed. How many have ever felt embarrassment? Shame, you just just do something really stupid. It seems like I get embarrassed quite a bit these days. And you get embarrassed very easily. Sometimes we feel shame. Sometimes we feel a certain amount of guilt. We feel all these kinds of emotions. Sometimes our embarrassment's funny and we can laugh it off. And sometimes those things that come our way are really not so funny at all. The Bible warns us, Paul writes Timothy, he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed concerning me. Don't be ashamed of me and of the gospel and of my testimony. Sometimes I think we've felt ashamed in the history of uh, the church at leaders who have fallen and stumbled and people say to us, how can this leader do that? And how can that leader do this? And, and, uh, and or, or we know of other believers who don't keep their word and they say, well, listen, I, I know so-and-so from your church and they were supposed to come and do this job for me and they charge me double and they mess me up and all this kind of stuff. And we just kind of want to hide, don't you? You want to shrink down that even in any way we were identified with that kind of a testimony that's out there. Sometimes peer pressure will keep people from being bold uh, and out front with their testimony. They're afraid, what's somebody going to think? Or what are they going to say about me? Or what if I'm rejected for my testimony? And so that shame comes in and we shrink back and we do not openly share what Jesus Christ means to us. Paul says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In fact, three times in this passage that I read to you, he says, do not be ashamed. In verse 80, he urges Timothy, not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In verse number 12, the apostle Paul says, and I was not ashamed of our Lord. And in verse 16, he says, Anasith, well, I worked on this in my office, believe me. Onesiphorus, I don't know, something like that. He said, he was not ashamed of me in my chains. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. First of all, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, verse number eight. We're called to witness and testify who God is. We're called upon to testify of what the Lord has done in our lives and what he means to us. We're we're called upon to testify about what God is going to do in our lives and the good things that the Lord has in front of us. And yet sometimes when things go wrong, when things don't work out like we thought they were going to work out, we feel shame and embarrassment about our God. And we may say, God, where are you? How come you let me down? How come I've come to these bitter waters? God, if you're a good God, how come you let this happen to me? And sometimes in our adversity, in our tragedies, we're ashamed about God because we don't have the answer. And sometimes fear will accompany our efforts to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we shrink back with our words or we shrink back with our deeds and we're not out front and and shame enters in. I'm reminded of the story of Peter 
who said, God, I'll never deny you. Wherever you lead, I'll follow you. I'll go all the way to the end. I'll even die for you. And the Lord prophetically spoke to him and said, before the cock crows three times, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. He follows the Lord from a distance, so he's not too closely identified with Christ or, or caught as one of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he, he has enough curiosity. He wants to know what's going on. And Jesus is on trial, and he's out in the courtyard, maybe with an earshot of what's going on. Someone comes up and says, don't you know the Lord? And he says, I don't know him. Little milk maid comes up again. Aren't you sure you're one of the followers of Jesus? No, I don't know him. The third time, the Bible says he denies him with cursings and swearings. Uh, You see, he allowed fear and shame and embarrassment uh, of maybe he might get caught. Maybe he might be executed. Maybe he might be put on trial. And he shrinks back and says, I don't even know the man. And the, the, the rooster crows. Christ looks at him. And that shame floods his heart and floods his mind. Here he is, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has this moment of embarrassment and this moment of shame that that peer pressure what are they going to say now the question i want to propose to you this morning is not so much am i ashamed of god but rather is god ashamed of me is god embarrassed by my actions would the lord want to be seen with me in public or where i go would he go with me where i go on friday nights or Saturday nights? Would he sit next to me and watch the same shows I'm watching on television? Would he be right by my side or would he be ashamed to call me his son? Listen to Hebrews eleven sixteen. He's writing about these great heroes of faith. He's talking about Abraham and Moses and Noah, Enoch. And he, and he makes this statement in verse 16. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. My question is, is God ashamed to be called your God? For he has prepared a city for them. There's a stern warning in Mark 8 and 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I want to ask you again, is God ashamed to be called your God? You see, the reason we're easily tempted to become ashamed about God and the reason we become fearful to tell others about him is because we don't really know him well enough. Our relationship with God is more of an acquaintance than that of a dear friend and our Heavenly Father. Paul's not ashamed to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ because he says in verse number 12, look at it. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed in. Uh, Listen, he didn't say I know what I have believed in. Uh, He didn't say I know a certain doctrine uh, or I go to a certain church. Uh, But he says I know whom I have believed in. I have a relationship with him. Uh, I know God personally and intimately. uh, And therefore, I'm not ashamed to ever be identified with him. So our shame is in direct proportion to how close are you to God? And if you're struggling with fear and embarrassment and shame, I want to challenge you. You better get to know God better because he's no one to be ashamed of. I know whom 
I have believed in. That intimate knowledge will cast fear aside. It will cast shame aside. It will be bold for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And then second, I want you to notice in verses 8, excuse me, the second part of verse 8 through 10. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the good news. He says, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us by Christ Jesus before time began, but is now revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know, in in some ways, because the gospel message is so simple, it has become a lightning rod for attack and shame. But Paul says the gospel is the good news. And the good news is this. God sent his only begotten son to earth who took on flesh, who dwelt among us, who lived a perfect life, who died a terrible death on Calvary. But the gospel concludes three days later, he walked out of that tomb. He walked out of the grave. Paul says that is the essence of the gospel. And that through his death and resurrection, He took my punishment for my sins. And I can have everlasting life. That's the gospel. And yet the message is so simple that some people think it's foolishness. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse number 21. For since the wisdom of the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. A lot of people look at the gospel as simply foolishness. The Greeks said it was foolishness to the Jews. It was a stumbling stone. Uh, They couldn't handle the simplicity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that someone could take my place. Someone could die on the cross for me. Uh, Someone would rise again the third day. And if I would simply believe and put my trust and faith in him, I could be saved. In a moment, I could be saved, Uh, not through any kind of works. And that simple message is foolishness to some. Paul says, don't Be ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1 and 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also the Greek. Now why is it the power of God into salvation? Well, he gives four things about the gospel right here in the text I just shared with you. First of all, it's power to save us. It saves us. You see, to accept salvation, you've got to start by admitting you're lost. And that's hard for a lot of people to do. We live in an era of self-sufficiency and self-made men and self-made people and kind of a a do-it-myself kind of mentality. And so self-sufficiency is a high virtue in America. And yet, to come into the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to realize I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And without God, I am lost. And salvation will only come to those who start by admitting, I am a sinner, and they cry out for help. And when we cry out for help, that's that first step in salvation. 
You can't save yourself today. I don't care how good you are, how wonderful you are, you will never ever save yourself. You cannot pay for your own sin. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our self-centered, self-seeking approach to life alienates us from God and his mercy and his grace. But the moment we say, God, I need you, we become candidates for his salvation. The second thing he says in verse number nine is he called us. Isn't it good to know you're called by God? Chosen by God? He said we're called not according to our works. You weren't called because you were good. You weren't called because you were all that. But it means when it says he called us not according to works, it means that gift of salvation is good for anybody, anywhere, anytime, place. But we've got to individually respond to that call. And the great God of the universe, the sustainer and creator of all things, uh, reaches down and calls me by name and he says, Larry. Not a great name, but he knows my name and he calls me by name. Larry, and he knows where you're at, and he calls you by name, and that's special to know that God who made everything knows me individually. He has the very hairs of your head number, and he calls you by name. He cares for us individually, and that gospel is rooted and grounded in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he saves us, he calls us, and number three, and I kind of use a, a different kind of word here, but he graced us. The word grace also found in verse number nine. That's the essence of the gospel. It means unmerited favor, not according to works. He relates to us in ways that we do not deserve. I, I think sometimes in our mindset, we find it difficult to live by grace. And, and here's how it goes. We think that God loves us more if we're good. And he loves us less if we're bad. But grace says God loves us no matter what. God's love never, ever changes towards us. God loves us the same. And I think it's even more difficult to live in grace towards others. You see, we want other people to get what they deserve, but we want God to give us grace. And so we don't always respond in grace with one another. We don't always bear up with the failures and weaknesses of others. Rather, what we tend to do is gossip and reject. So the same way that God responds to us in grace, we've got to respond to everyone else in grace. And then I think sometimes it's also difficult to live in grace towards ourselves. We know intellectually that God can forgive any kind of sin, but then we cry out, how can I forgive myself for what I've done? I've got good news for you today. If you've asked God to forgive you and cleanse you as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed your sins. And even though the enemy is accuser of the brethren, God's grace is sufficient and complete for any and every sin we could have ever done. So we've got to learn to forgive ourselves. Now, if you're having trouble with freedom and self-forgiveness today, first we confess our sins to the Lord and their forgiveness. 
But I believe if that still is not the connection you need, the Bible also talks about confessing your faults one to another that you might be healed. And so I think it's good to tell someone else at times. And if you're still struggling with guilt, you're still struggling with pain, find another believer you can trust in, you can count on, who can keep confidences and share it with them. And that release can help bring that grace. And for some of you, uh, you might not still be experiencing that grace uh, because God calls you to make restitution for that which you've done that is wrong. And you haven't done that yet. You've got to go take back those things you stole, and you've got to go pay the money for those things, and you've got to make it right for the business partner you wronged or whatever else you did. And so until you make restitution, you won't feel God's grace. But we've got to learn to forgive ourselves, let it go. God's grace is full and complete. And then in verse 10, the fourth essence of the gospel, it says he abolished death. He abolished death. We live in a death-denying culture. But I want to tell you, if you are a child of God, you don't have to be afraid of death because the Bible says the sting of death has been already pulled out. It has been removed. Uh, It means that Christ's victory gives me victory over sin and over death itself. Uh, And that's good news. That's the gospel. And Paul says in verse 14 that it's this gospel we are called upon to keep or to guard, uh, it's like protecting something, uh, and it's not. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel, but rather guard the gospel and keep the gospel and protect it and embrace it, because these are the very words of life and forgiveness. Guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then number three, we're not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse number eight. See it again in verse number 16. We're not to be ashamed of our brother in prison. We're not to be ashamed of our brothers in prison. Now let me give you the backdrop very quickly. Paul is about to be executed. He's in prison. He's there for sharing his testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there primarily because he was not ashamed of the gospel when he spoke up very boldly about the gospel of God. His bones are aching. It's cold. It's lonely, damp. We know it's cold because he says, bring my cloak. I'm freezing in here. He says, bring my parchments, bring my books. I want to read some more. And so he's all alone. He's by himself and he asks for his parchments. And you get the idea that the battle's almost over. He has captured his last fort and his last hill. And he's coming to the end of his spiritual journey. And yet throughout this letter, he speaks about the many friends who had deserted him, who had left him. And so when he is in prison as a common criminal, his friends are bailing out on him and he feels like he is all alone. And and Paul says, don't be ashamed of your brother in prison. Persecution will cause many to abandon the faith. He names three guys. I'm not going to try to say them again, but they're in there. You can read about it. These were shallow, rooted Christians. Bible describes four kinds of soil. These are the guys who put their seed in stony ground. And the Bible said when the plant comes up, the sun comes up. And because of persecution, uh, that plant withers and it dies and they leave the faith. And there are those who do not get their roots deep down into Jesus Christ. That when persecution comes, uh, adversity comes, uh, embarrassment comes, they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in the end times it will become more prevalent. 
Turn to Matthew 24. Look at verse 10. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, Now he said in the last days that would happen. uh, But I have great news for you. The church will always be victorious. In fact, Christianity is not now nor will ever be in crises. In fact, throughout church history, it's the blood of martyrs, uh, it's persecution uh, that became fuel that was put on the fire that spread the gospel all around the world. Uh, It was persecution uh, that really allowed the church to grow and drove the church to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, The Bible says persecution is like that refining fire and after we come through it, we are tried like true gold. It says in his word, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now, Paul is one of those very controversial characters. And so he was often abandoned. He was often persecuted. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse number 12 and 13. And we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world and the off-scourging of the things until now. That's the way they treated the Apostle Paul. And now because of his chains, because he's in prison, he is aban- there are those who are abandoning him. They are ashamed of him. But Paul says, I was not ashamed of Christ because I know him. I know the one who met me on the road to Damascus. I know the one who appeared to me in all his glory. I know the one who has kept me through every trial and every test that has come my way. I know him. And so he says, I wasn't ashamed of Christ. So he tells those followers in verse 8 and verse 16, don't be ashamed of me. Share in my sufferings because I wasn't ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of your brother. Now, we've got to stand with one another when our brother's going through suffering. We can't bail out on him in his hour and time of need. The body of Christ says when one member rejoices, we all rejoice. That's the easy part. But when one member suffers, we all suffer and we share in that and we bear one another's burdens. And that's what God has called us to do. We can't be ashamed of our brother when he stumbles and falls along the way. We can't say, listen, Jack, you made your bed, you lie in it, and we walk off. Uh, We've got to help them up and love them and work them through the process of restoration. There are people in chains in the body of Christ, not literally, you're not, there's not that, there are people in chains in prison cells today, but probably not too many of your acquaintances. And yet when there are those who are going through suffering, are you going to desert them? You're going to bail out on them? A teenage girl gets pregnant. She's scared and confused. Doesn't have anybody to look out for or care for. Are you going to be ashamed of her and put the scarlet A on her chest? Is she going to suffer in silence, not knowing where to turn? Or are you going to be the one that can bring that hope in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
that there is hope. That's what our Alpha Pregnancy Center is all about. It's bringing hope to those who don't have any kind of hope whatsoever. It's telling there's hope, there's a future for her and that child within her. What about the poor? What about the homeless? What about when someone comes into our church and they got rags on their body and they sit down or, and they maybe have a little bit of an odor to them? Are you going to kind of move down the aisle and kind of get away from them so you don't have that odor around you? Or are you going to put your arms around them and hug them and say, great to have you at Faith Assembly today? What about the broken in the inner city? What about the homeless? What about our brothers and sisters who've lost their job and you say, I better not... They've lost your job. If I hang around, I'm going to have to give them some money. Let me just kind of distance myself a little bit. But those in financial crises, you see, they're great friends until the money runs out. And then somehow we feel ashamed or embarrassed. And we don't know how to relate to them anymore because of their shame and their embarrassment. And all of a sudden, we begin distancing ourselves from brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, those who are in prison. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't bail out on me now. I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Brother Steve Everett invited me to go to Lieber Correctional Institute. Steve's a great brother in the Lord. He's got a ministry there called Celebrate Recovery. And he goes in on Thursday mornings, and they've got a group of believers in Lieber uh, it's a maximum security prison just up the road in Ridgeville. And he's with brothers and sisters, brothers, not brothers and sisters, just brothers at Lieber. And they're there in the Celebrate Recovery group, and they're sharing together. And, and several stood up and shared their testimony. Thieves, murderers. They stood up and shared at how Christ had delivered them and how the Lord Jesus Christ had set them free, even though they were in prison. Lieber was built to hold 800 Inmates, they have now 1,469 packed into that one prison. Many of the cells have three bunks stacked on top of each other just to get all the prison. There's no freedom whatsoever. They took us to one cell block called Death Row. And I saw there in in that you could see we couldn't get any further in, but you could see through the bars and, and, and the conditions they lived in. And there were 54 men who are sentenced to die by execution. On the other side, they had an area called the lockup, or we might call it, they called it the hole at one time. 128 prisoners in there. I said, what are they in there for? These are those who were in prison who broke the rules of prison and broke the law in prison. And so because they broke the law in prison, they stabbed somebody else or got in a fight or hit a guard or whatever they did. They're put in lockup. And so there's 128 in there. We went through the infirmary. There were nine in the infirmary who are diseased in body, and yet they're in prison cells still until the time of their death and their passing. And, and, and the guards, they had some of the guards in lockup and on death row, they, they wore helmets and they had a mask, a visor that came down in front of their face. And I asked what the visor was for, and they said, well, that's when the prisoners spit at you. The spit won't get in your face, and so it's to protect the guards. I left there thanking God for my freedom. I left there determined not to break any laws. I didn't want to go there. I left there broken and grieved in my spirit. But then I was reminded of those in that Celebrate Recovery room, about 30 sitting around the room. 
And there are probably many more in prison who weren't at that Bible study, may go to a different one, another one. There are many in there who have given their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, who are free in Christ Jesus, and they may be in prison. But are we going to be ashamed of them and their families or come along beside them and support them and encouragement and love on them? By the way, bring in toothpaste and toothbrushes and soap, and we can take it into them, and that will help them out tremendously. We have a group in this church that go to the juvenile detention center and they share the gospel of Jesus Christ every Thursday night. And there are brothers who are getting saved. There's a ladies portion in juvenile detention. There are girls who are giving their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's incredible what God has done. And so now Paul, a brother, he's in jail. He says, don't be ashamed of me. Look at verse number 15. He says, as you know, that all those in Asia have turned from me among whom are Phil and Hermes abbreviation instead of receiving support they deserted him in their hour of need listen what is going to be your attitude towards those who are hurting are you going to sweep it under the rug or you ignore their existence are you going to walk by when others suffer when they're in their own prison of depression when they're going through an illness when they're experiencing a divorce or a broken relationship along the way, when they've lost their job, are we going to love them? Are we going to help them? Are we going to stand by them? We cannot be ashamed of one another in the body of Christ, no matter what they're going through, no matter what kind of prison they're in. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me in prison. And yet he describes one man, even though he says all have left him, there's one man, Onesiphorus, as in verse 16 and 17, he was not ashamed. His name means profit sharing or profit bearing. This man, honest, was profitable to the Apostle Paul. He could have stayed in Ephesus. He makes the dangerous journey to where the Apostle Paul is. And he ministers to him. And the Bible uses the word refreshed. He has refreshed me. It literally means to cool again. And so he says, honest was like a a breath of fresh air to me when he came to visit me. And he came to see me. Now I'm going to tell you, everybody needs an honest in their life. We all need somebody in our life that will come along and refresh us. We need a friend that will stand by us no matter what happens in our life. Someone who will even be willing to risk their reputation to be seen with us or seen with you. Someone that we can call at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, when we're in need uh, and when we're hurting uh, without feeling like I'm going to be rejected. Uh, Someone who's going to listen to us. Someone who's going to pray. Someone who's going to stand beside us. We all need somebody like that in our lives. The Apostle Paul did and we did too. Now, that's what this church is all about. We are creating a climate where relationships can flourish and mature and be formed. And I want to encourage you once again, that's the beauty of our small groups. That's where you get into intimate relationships with one another in the family of God. That's where you'll meet your onus in your own lives. You say, well, what if I don't have somebody like that in my life? We'll become an onocephorus to somebody else. Become that to somebody else in need. The Bible said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And in this 
culture, you hear so much about self-fulfillment. Uh, the Bible says if you want to fulfill yourself, give yourself away. Uh, if you want to really live, die to yourself. If you want to really live, give yourself in ministry to other people. Luke 9 and 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Uh, and so I want to challenge this body of believers today. Let's be a body that will encourage one another, uh, lift one another up, uh, share in that same mission of telling the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to everybody we see. Do not be ashamed of our testimony. Uh, do not be ashamed of the gospel. And do not be ashamed uh, of your brothers and sisters in the family of God. No matter what they're going through, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel it may cost you there may be some who will turn away from you Uh, you may be laughed at along the way you may be rejected at some point or another but do not be ashamed of the testimony of our lord if you're feeling shame today if you're feeling embarrassment today about any part of your life or your testimony get to know god better when you know how great god is you'll begin to understand what he can do and mean in your life and what he can mean in the lives of others I am not ashamed. Say that with me. I am not ashamed. Bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Listen, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can invite him to come into your heart and life right now. He said, if you're ashamed before men, I'll be ashamed of you when I come with my fathers in glory. I don't want God to be ashamed of any person in this room. You say, how can I remove my shame? You gotta say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. And if you'll do that in a moment, that great miracle of salvation will occur for you. I wanna encourage you wherever you're at. Just say, God, I need you. God, I believe you died and rose again for me. Come and live inside of my life. And if you'll do that, you'll be your Lord and your Savior right now. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for you. This podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.